Welcome to The Backshop, a podcast about the concepts and practice of media with a focus on its impact on society. Each week, we cover ideas about the theories, concepts, and history that have driven media development. We will also keep an eye on how new technologies are changing traditional ways of getting information at a time when democracy needs our engagement more than ever. This is The Backshop. I'm your host, Jeremy Lata, an associate professor of journalism and communication at Lehigh University in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Welcome, and episode three, here we go. Um, I mentioned last time we were going to come in and talk about, uh, for this one, uh, some sense of the media landscape. You know, we've been covering the last couple episodes, uh, kind of an introduction to how we think about media and media systems, but... Um, part of that analysis is is taking a look at what what is the media business look like. Um, so today I'm going to kind of do a broad um, overview of it, and then um, after this, uh, an episode maybe two uh, that takes a look at um, specific businesses that we're going to be covering um, when it comes to news media in particular. Um, it's important to understand these industries because understanding the economic structure of how they're constructed. And um, the w- it really kind of helps influence the way you think about how they operate. Um, so just for briefly, I mean, the way, the way to think about the media business now is that when people talk about the media, they really are usually not talking about, um, they're not talking about the news, even though that usually is, is embedded in the criticism that they make. Um, the media is much more broad than that. Um, it is a, a sector that is made up of these very large companies that um, combine entertainment and news interests as well as other types of information seeking and distribution. Um, and this landscape has changed a great deal in the last 50 years. Um, but to really understand where we, how we got here, um, you know, we have to go back even further than that. So when I talk about the media business, I'm talking about this convergence of uh, print media, which would be books, newspapers, magazines, um, electronic media, which would be dealing with things like uh, TV production, movies, um, TV distribution, radio, uh, and so forth. Um, Third-party distribution systems um, are, are one of the newer things that have emerged. Um, so we're talking about internet providers, um, internet platforms to some degree that provide referrals, um, satellite, um, you know, cable uh, distribution. Um, you could look at some of these newer emerging products like Netflix is probably being part of that world um, because they don't, although Netflix is making more content than they used to, but they started off as a media company that was d- designed to distribute. Um you have to take a look at things like uh, social platforms as part of that third party as well. Um, and then finally, dealing with things like you know, advertising um, as, a, uh, as a, something that kind of exists alongside these things. They provide the engine for a lot of the revenue that comes into these businesses um, um, just in the form of uh, you know, support that allows free media to exist or subsidized media. Now, in, in the U.S., we talk mostly about the big five, which is about to become the big four. <laughs> um, this has changed a lot. It's funny, when I went to college in the, in the mid-1990s, we were talking about the big seven media companies. Um, and we are largely down to four um, here in the U.S. And what these are, are, are we call conglomerates. They are media companies that um, are vertically integrated to include um, sectors across all those different types of media that is mentioned. So print media companies, um, you know, it's uh, combined into a singular unit that has uh, TV, movies, uh, third-party distribution, even advertising shops in some cases. Um, these are large 
large companies um, that uh, that gather. They they own most of the media that exists right now, um, but they also they also bring in a lot of the revenue. So you know when you, when you talk about um, the way in which uh, um, media is organized, most of the big companies that we tend to think of um, are controlled by just a few companies. And again, I, I mentioned you know twenty years ago we were talking about seven. And now we're down to a lot less than that. Um, we're, we're, we're dealing with uh, roughly four um, as a result of mergers even that existed over the last couple of years. And it's funny, whenever I teach this lecture, I have to really update it because um, the, the, the landscape changes so much. So as of 2017, for example, the biggest companies uh, in the world in terms of media in order were Comcast, which brought in about $84.5 billion um, in, in fiscal year 2017, followed by the Walt Disney Company, then AT&T, then Fox Corporation, then CBS Corporation, and then Viacom. And Viacom, being number six on that list, um, brought in about $13.26 billion. Now, what's changed since then? Well, Fox um, sold a bunch of its properties to Walt Disney. And um, so they maintain control of um, some of the television outlets, but their movie studios, for the most part, moved over to, to Walt Disney. Um, Fox maintained control of Fox News, but there's a, I, I think it's pretty likely that Fox may not even be a top 10 company when, when the next uh, set of rankings come out. Um, CBS and Viacom are, um, have, have had such an on-again, off-again dalliance uh, where being, being a separate company, then being combined, then being separate again, and they're back to being... Um, um, uh, being part of the, the parent company again, um, they announced a merger in August uh, 2019, um, and it's expected to go through later this year. So what will end up happening is those two companies will merge into one. Now, these both hold massive amounts of media properties, um, uh, different types of businesses that are going to merge into singular corporations. So when I talked to them in the 1990s about how it was seven and now we're down to five and soon to be four, this is what's been happening is, is these, these large conglomerates have been gobbling up companies um, and um, forming much larger media businesses from existing businesses that they're buying out. Um, expanding their portfolio, some of the some of the smaller conglomerates have merged with some of the larger conglomerates, and so on and so on and so on. And we've kind of reached this point where um, these businesses are becoming huge um, to the point where it, you can't even talk about breaking them up. Um, when the next set of ranking comes out, it'll be interesting because Viacom and CBS um, will be con uh, converged into one media entity. Walt Disney Company, having acquired Fox, might end over end up overtaking Comcast as the number one company in the world. Um, but, uh, you know, this is kind of a jockeying for position, but, um, you know, we're at this point where, you know, that's, uh, uh, it's just a continuing consolidation. Now, when you take a look at a global context, there's a, a German company called Bertelsmann that, uh, probably would end up being about three or four on the list, depending on the year and the amount of revenue coming in. Um, and they, uh, so they would, they would be a top five company. And then there's the Chinese company Baidu. Um, which has been growing uh, incredibly over the last ten years, and so, you know they may end up cracking the top five once the, the Viacom CBS merger goes through. So um, that is a, it's obviously a kind of a jockeying for position on the list, but um, you know globally those are two big companies. But if you think about it, even if we're talking about the, the, after the merger, six companies globally, you know four of those are based here in the United States. 
Um, and they obviously are multinational in the sense that they own properties outside the United States, but, but they are largely United States controlled media uh, companies. Now, where this picture gets a little more complicated is when we start thinking about the effect of emerging technology companies and how they would fit in this picture. Um, so let's say we added Alphabet, which is the, the parent company for Google. Um, largely does not make its own content. Um, it, it, you can argue it hosts its own content in the form of some of its products like YouTube. Um, Facebook, same way. Facebook um, you know, doesn't make really its own stuff, but it relies on its users to generate its, um, the content that it hosts on its platform. But they are powerful referrers to some of these other companies, you know. So Facebook, Facebook has been um, is a is a high deliverer of of, of traffic um, to news companies, for example. Um, but while they are not making media in the same way that the Walt Disney Company does or Comcast does, you know, where they are making their own content and then distributing it. They still are powerful players because that, that advertising revenue that used to go straight to the media companies who were doing the distribution. So, you know, Walt Disney owns ABC, for example. Um, they would garner the, the lion's share of television revenue in the form of advertising. And, and so these platforms that are hosting content but not making it are starting to grab more of that revenue. And if you were to, to add them to this list, Alphabet Company... Um, in 2017, brought in almost $60 billion in, re- in revenue. They would have been the number one company in the world, uh, the conglomerate in the world, um, by a factor of, of, of about double the amount that, that Walt Disney Company brought in, um, if not a little more than that, probably about two and a half times. Facebook would probably be number four or five on the list. Now, the reason I mention this is because this, I think, highlights... We, we can probably debate whether they are, they are true media companies or whether they're tech companies. I think that that is something that we will get at at some point in this series of podcasts. But I think it's worth putting, putting down a marker now that regardless of where you come down on the issue, they are, they are gathering up um, ad revenue in a way that used to be the sole domain of media companies. And that has had an effect on the bottom line of some of these more traditional players. Even as they're consolidating, they're not, they're not coming close to touching the revenue of Alphabet. If you took from the 2017 list, for example, um, the three non-traditional, or traditionals, excuse me, Walt Disney, Comcast, 20th Century Fox, and added them together, their revenue target would have um, been just shy, or I'm sorry, excuse me, just slightly more than Alphabet. So that's big. Uh, and that would actually mean that... Um, you know, of that revenue that's coming in, the top 30 media companies in the world um, in 2013, for example, had um, gathered about 257 billion of the of the almost two trillion dollars in revenue. So it's 30 companies, uh, conglomerates in the world that gathered about about 13 and a half to 14 percent of of that revenue. Okay, um, so Alphabet. Um, of that, of those thirty companies, uh, gathered about twenty five percent of that revenue. You know, so they are they are a big player, and they, it's not necessarily that they are growing the advertising revenue pie so much as they are they are pulling it from other sources. And um, you can argue that that's not necessarily their fault. Uh, people obviously have been blaming Google and Facebook for for taking that revenue, and in fact, using the word stealing a lot. Um, we're going to talk in later episodes about why I think that that's, that's, a, that's a wrong-headed way of thinking. Um, but I think it's important to at least understand that that, in terms of just the, the pressures of the business, that, that is one of the factors that is in play right now. So these conglomerates, how are they comprised? 
they are comprised of, it's a vertically integrated company, as I said before, that has, um, you know, um, layers across different types of media. But in those particular layers, they are horizontally integrated, which means they own a lot of the same like businesses. So for example, um, um, when you think about um, some of the companies that own, um, you know, like magazines, for example, they own a ton of magazines uh, across the board. And so they've got this, uh, they've had a magazine sector that basically has been um, got gobbling up a lot of the same like properties, forming a, a major chain essentially, or a major company that then got folded into a vertically integrated company. So the Time Warner merger of the 1990s, for example, um, brought together uh, Time Incorporated, which was basically a magazine publishing company with some of the some of the Warner Brothers properties that involved television and studio um, and, and so forth. Later on, you added things like internet distribution from AOL um, and when it became AOL Time Warner. But Time Warner, at its peak, owned, owned hundreds of magazines. Um, they, they were largely a business that had built itself horizontally for years. Um, but in the 80s and 90s, we started to see some of these horizontally integrated companies start to merge up with other horizontally integrated companies that did a different type of business. And that's where we started to see some of these mega conglomerates starting to, to form. You think about Walt Disney Company, for example, they are involved in things like film and theater, music. They have music labels for um, some of their Disney Channel stars, but also they have their own independent labels. Um, they're involved in TV networks and production. Um, they have radio outlets, both for original content from stations they own, but they also license out their brand um, to um, to stations that they don't own, to, and they get money back in that, in that form. So, for example, ESPN Radio is a good example of that. Um, where they basically have uh, radio stations who are paying them for the right to air ESPN radio content in certain markets. Um, they have publishing arms. They have parks and resorts working on their behalf to co-reinforce their brand. So, you know, I was, as a Star Wars fan, like really giddy about this um, Star Wars Galaxy Edge that was opening up um, over at Walt Disney World and, and Disneyland. Um, but it's just from a pure media business standpoint that exists to reinforce um, the Star Wars properties that um, that they bought from uh, Lucasfilm several years ago. Um, they are going to be opening up a Marvel-themed version of this as well because they own, already owned a lot of the Marvel characters, and then they acquired a bunch more from um, um, from Fox when they when they purchased their movie studios. So the way the way to see conglomerates then is they have created this situation where. Um, they can start gobbling up revenue from pretty much any of the uh, media properties that create in one sector can make money from it in, in the other. Um, so, for example, you know when a, when the Star Wars movie comes out later this year, Episode Nine, um, they obviously will make some money from the um, just from the distribution rights and the and the ticket sales that come with um, letting that movie go into theaters. But then they also will make money from DVD sales and streaming and things like that. Um, they will also make money from licensing. They'll make money from deals they make with um, with uh, some sort of fast food company, I'm sure, to have branded cups and action figures and things like that. They make money from toys. They make money from their theme parks. They make money from um, some of the television networks that will cover this the, the launch of this film, um, where it is news. It's legitimate news when this movie enters theaters. And so they will make money from the coverage of that because there will be interests and clicks and things like that. Um, and so what ends up happening is these vertical um, integrated companies create some sort of safety net for themselves, that even if Walt Disney makes a bad film, um, that they can make up that revenue from other sources. And even in, in, in some sense, you could 
um, you can create a, a kind of a, a way for your your print media companies, for example, to mock a really bad film, and you can make money off the fact that the film is bad. It, it, it's something that insulates you from, I think, some of the worst effects of, of bad decisions or, or badly performing properties across the spectrum. So these companies are... Um, created to help avert risk, and um, and that that is why you keep doing this. Um, horizontal integration then is is about cutting costs. If you think about um, one one example, I like to give in my classes is like let's say you're a person who um, sells hot dogs for a living. Um, a, a horizontally integrated company would buy just a bunch of hot dog stands uh, all over town, right? And so you kind of control the market on anybody who is selling. But a vertically integrated company then tries to own the, all the different stages of production and distribution. So you would go buy a hot dog bun making company and the hot dog packaging company. Um, you would invest in condiments and you would own all those different phases and supply all that all those products to your stands at a, at a cheaper rate. You're not having to pay a middleman fee for... Uh, for um, uh, for the, the kinds of uh, raw materials you use, essentially, to make the, the, the product. Um, similarly, these, these, um, these conglomerates, then, they are owning the, the creation, production, and distribution of, of content up and down the scale that um, they are not just in the movie-making business anymore at Walt Disney. They are also in the talking about the movies business. Um, and that in, in very... Um, profound ways limits their risk um, and also gives them some ability to capitalize on um, um, changes in the market or just bad decisions that they made. Now, this is a good and bad deal for the consumer then. Um, I think that you end up with more integrated franchises. I think Marvel fans will be tell you they're really happy with the fact that they're all controlled under the same studio. I think the Avengers um, franchise is a really good example of what you can do um, to create really rich experiences. Um, with the rights that you own. Um, but it also, when you create a, a, a playing field that doesn't have a ton of risk to it, it, it also means you don't take chances on, on things. And you end up with companies that in a lot of ways chase a, a lot of the same types of things that other companies are finding successful. Um, this is why I joke that we end up with this slew of vampire properties um, after the success of the, the Twilight Books franchise that eventually became movies. Um, all of a sudden, we start seeing it everywhere, and you know, um, conglomerates are starting to push, you know, um, into areas where they're seeing other competitors have success. Um, it's a risk-averse environment, and so um, it, it 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 does create um, some pressure to not have um, you know risk built into what you're doing. Very briefly before I sign off, though, I do think it's worth adding um, that the revenue sources really do matter, um, and that is. Um, that where the money comes from really depends on the type of industry. So we're dealing with um, revenue sources in the form of subscriptions. You know, Netflix is a really good example of that model. Even media properties like news businesses rely to some degree on that. Um, advertising is a big one, uh, both in terms of ads that companies make in air or pr put in print, but also in terms of some of the ways in which you can monetize audiences um, and um, and sell to them. So, for example, Facebook has created an engine that can deliver ads in a, a customized way based on people's user characteristics. Um, licensing is another form of revenue um, that's um, you know, you're selling the rights to it, as I mentioned earlier, where somebody could put you know Han Solo in a cup and you get a little bit of money back to your studio for that. 
Um, obviously, the product is is part of a revenue if people are paying for uh, it specifically. So a physical DVD, um, an album or a CD are examples of that. And then obviously, lastly, is things like other types of ticketing, um, so sort of like concerts, uh, tours, things like that are other sources of that. So that kind of sketches out a little bit of where, where these companies are getting their, their revenue from. And what we want to do next time is go a little more deeply into a specific business. I want to talk about the news, where they get their money from, um, what that revenue stream has looked like, um, what the trend line has been. And I want to talk a little bit more about why the news business is in peril. So that's all for this time. And I will see you next uh, for episode four. The Backshop is a non-commercial podcast recorded and produced by Jeremy Lata at Lehigh University. Special thanks to Kaseki, whose music was used for this podcast and made available via Gemendo with a Creative Commons license.